Hello. Here we are again. A fifth episode of Smells Like Quarantine Spirit, the podcast wherein I, Ashlyn Romagnoli, do things and learn things during the COVID-19 quarantine, backed by the most handsome man in the world, my now caregiver, Adam Lofbaum, as I also recover from yesterday's surgery. Yeah, there's some serious recovery to do. Some serious recovering to do. Um, I am doing really well. Um, I'm trying to save the Vicodin-style pain meds for when I really, really need them, so I'm in a bit more pain today, but... But a little feeling more lucid. Being, yeah, a little more lucid, feeling a little more optimistic, um, trying not to laugh or cough or anything too much, um, but that's kind of hard, so we do what we can. Um, so today's topic, trees and taking walks to look at them. Because walks are cool, as long as you keep are, your distance. Walks are cool, exactly. We're allowed to take walks. We are social distancing, not tree distancing. And I've had this particular episode in my head for a really, really long time, um, before we even dreamed up this podcast at all. Huh. Yeah, I know. Well, I really, really love trees. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, yesterday in surgery, they asked me to remove all of my rings, which I could mostly accommodate, except for the one ring that I have not taken off since I was 14. Oh, and you know what's actually a crazy coincidence? Um, this So this ring, I got it on a trip to Ireland with my family when I was 14, and um, it's actually, it's a plain silver band, but it has these notches in it that the jeweler that I bought it from told me were part of the Ogham tree language. So one of the earliest written forms. What's that? I know. One of the earliest forms of writing in ancient Ireland was basically you would have a vertical line and then um, notches on either side in different patterns to indicate both a sound but it also corresponded to a tree. Huh. So my ring actually says something in Ogham tree language. What does it say? It says, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Which when I was little, I was like, oh, I wish it said luck or hope or love or whatever. But the older I've gotten, the more I've just come to appreciate the simplicity of a warm greeting. Yeah. Hello. So, and I kept saying to them, I'm like a tree. I put on this ring and I grew into it and now it can't come off, which doesn't entirely make sense, I don't think. And also, I don't think it's recommended to do that to trees anyway, but I said it a lot because I love trees and I always have. And I was completely out of my mind <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> also true. Also true. Um, I remember being a little kid and reading a couple of books about trees that, I mean, basically scarred me for life, if you really think about it, because to be honest, the way the climate crisis has been going, I really just can't believe that we knew enough about how terribly we've been treating our planet and our trees for so long that it was already distilled into a children's book when I was just a little youngin', and we still haven't really done that much about it. Um, Kind of crazy. Kind of depressing. Pretty sad. Um, And the obvious books of this type are, of course, you know, The Lorax by Dr. Seuss and The Giving Tree by Mm. Shel Silverstein, which I know has a massive beloved following, including countless hipster tattoos, but controversial opinion here um i'm not sure i'm totally on board with that message as an adult i mean i loved it as a kid but looking back on it as an adult that little kid was like a fucking taker i mean like people you have to take care of yourself a little too just don't just give and give and give until you have nothing left because some douchebag keeps asking you i mean did he even fertilize that tree like once no no ugh love that unconditional just seems kind of unhealthy to me it doesn't 
going to say that. Anyway, rant aside, <laughs> uh, my personal favorite tree book, though, was, I think, a pretty obscure one um, called The Wump World. And no one I know has ever heard of this, which is why I think it's obscure. But it was written in 1970, so before the Lorax, but, you know, who's counting? We need as many books as we can on this, um, by a writer and an illustrator named Bill Peet, who worked for Disney back in the really early days. Um, I think he worked on Snow White, actually. Anyway, I haven't read this book in forever, but the basic story that I remember and is um, seared into my brain (laughs) is something like this. There are these adorable little creatures called wumps who live in this pastoral paradise. They um, basically look like little capybaras, like little little cute little mammal dudes, like kind of like tiny moose as well. I don't know, it's weird. But anyway, they just like womp around all day on their pretty little planet. Um, and then these really nasty aliens who look suspiciously like humans, but they're like bright blue, hmm. show up and colonize the planet forcing the wumps basically into refugee camps in the caves as their homeworld is bulldozed and built up and the water polluted and the air dirtied and grossified until even the aliens can't stand it anymore. And then they send a scout out to a different planet that isn't yet totally fucked up and the evil aliens just pack up and leave. Um, And the strongest image that I remember and this image that like haunts me to this day is this cautious little wump just like like making his little wump way out of these horrible caves, sniffing at a single little green plant that's poking up through this concrete wreckage. Um, but the the words on that page kind of underscored the fact that despite this like little image of hope, the wump world was never going to be the same again. Hmm. Yeah, it's very a, sad. Yeah, it's kind of dark for a kids' book, I guess. But I think it's an important message because we're going through this right now both with this virus and how we're treating our planet like things are not going to be the same after all of this so it's dark but it's necessary but anyway sorry i, I don't want to take it to too dark of a place for <laughs> for our podcast i'm gonna go slash my wrist now yeah, no don't 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 say that never say that um so anyway um i love trees and i love plants even if i don't have quite as green a thumb as i'd like And I knew my best friend Kat and I were going to be very best friends forever when she told me uh, that her best friend growing up was a tree. Sorry for sharing that, Kat. (laughs) But the reason I'm bringing up trees today in particular is because of uh, my current somewhat inhibited condition um, has meant that when Adam and I take our daily walk outside, which is still recommended to me to prevent uh, clotting post-surgery, we're doing it at like a half or quarter speed to accommodate all my stiffness and pain. So this means... They were getting to spend a lot more time soaking in the big, beautiful, beautiful old trees in this neighborhood. My neighborhood, I think one of the biggest things that hit me in the early days post-tornado was the fact that um, the trees are almost all gone. And it really breaks my heart. And I can't wait to get back to East Nashville and start planting as many natives as I can. Sugar maple, oaks, dogwoods. We got plants. We do. So that's what we're recommending for today. Uh, Remember, again, we are physically distancing from other people, not from trees. You can go for a walk. You can hug a tree. I cannot hug a tree right now because I can't hug anything because that would hurt really bad. But (laughs) some fresh air will do you good. Indeed. All right. So let's talk about some cool things I have learned about trees lately. Did you know, Adam, uh, that there is actually no official scientifically agreed upon definition of a tree? I did not know that. That's crazy, right? So even in a strictly botanical sense, it turns out there's like a lot of subjective criteria working here, which seems kind of crazy because I feel like we can all sort of imagine a tree and come to some conclusion about 
yeah, what we think is a tree and what we think is not a tree. But almost every definition excludes something that you would think of as a tree. So, like, if you try to put on a height minimum, you lose a bunch of bunch of little trees and like bonsai or whatever. Uh, if you demand wooden bark from your trees, you would lose out on a Joshua tree and palm trees. Uh, if you want them to have to produce seeds, you miss out on these, like, cool giant ferns from the southern hemisphere who reproduce with spores. Wow. Okay, so according to Wikipedia, though... In its broadest sense, a tree is any plant with a general form of an elongated stem or trunk, which supports the photosynthetic leaves or branches at some distance above the ground. Okay, so that's like the overall broadest definition we can work with. So, you know, that's pretty cool. Um, so right now I'm reading two books about trees. Uh, one fiction, one nonfiction. And I know we told you in episode one that we have a lot of books in the house, but seriously, we have so many books in the house that we have multiple books about trees. <laughs> um, the nonfiction work uh, is called The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Volobin, who, as far as I can tell, is basically an ent, you know, like from Lord of the Rings, the mm. tree shepherds. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to have Adam read his whole introduction to this book. It's not too long, don't worry. Um, so you can just get a sense of how fascinating and majestic this book actually is. Oh, here we go. All right. So introduction. When I began my professional career as a forester, I knew about as much about the hidden life of trees as a butcher knows about the emotional life of animals. The modern forestry industry produces lumber. That is to say, it fells trees and then plants new seedlings. If you read the professional literature, you quickly get the impression that the well-being of the forest is only of interest insofar as it is necessary for optimizing the lumber industry. That is enough for what foresters do day to day and eventually it distorts the way that they look at trees. Because it was my job to look at hundreds of trees every day, spruce, beeches, oaks, and pines, to assess their suitability for the lumber mill and their market value, my appreciation of trees was also restricted to this narrow point of view. About 20 years ago, I began to organize survival training and log cabin tours for tourists. Then I added a place in the forest where people can be buried as an alternative to traditional graveyards. I want that and an ancient forest preserve. In conversations with the many visitors who came, my view of the forest changed once again. Visitors were enchanted by crooked, gnarled trees I would previously have dismissed because of their low commercial value. Walking with my visitors, I learned to pay attention to more than just the quality of the tree's trunks. I began to notice bizarre root shapes, peculiar growth patterns, and mossy cushions on bark. My love of nature, something I've had since I was six years old, was reignited. Suddenly, I was aware of countless wonders I could hardly explain even to myself. At the same time, Aachen University began conducting regular scientific research programs in the forest I manage. During the course of this research, many questions were answered, but many more emerged. Life as a forester became exciting once again. Every day in the forest was a day of discovery. This led me to unusual ways of managing the forest. When you know that trees experience pain and have memories, and that tree parents live together with their children, then you can no longer just chop them down and disrupt their lives with large machines. Machines have been banned from the forest for a couple of decades now, and if a few individual trees need to be harvested from time to time, the work is done with care by foresters using horses instead. A healthier, perhaps you could even say, happier forest is considerably more productive, and that means it is also more profitable. This argument convinced my employer, the community of Hummel, and now this tiny village in the Eiffel Mountains will not consider any other way of managing their forest. 
The trees are breathing a collective sigh of relief and revealing even more of their secrets, especially those stands growing in the newly established preserves, where they are left completely undisturbed. I will never stop learning from them, but even what I've learned so far under their leafy canopy exceeds anything I could have ever dreamed of. I invite you to share with me the joy trees can bring us, and who knows, perhaps on your next walk in the forest, you will discover for yourself wonders great and small. Okay, so I dare you not to order this book immediately, right? <laughs> uh, Pretty magical. It's so magical. I picked up this book at my sister's house, hey Mina, um, a couple of weeks ago, and I just, I just had to have one for myself. Also, want to do a quick shout out to my sister for sending me a freaking amazing care package for my post surgical sadness um it's a box i think from rei of all this outdoorsy stuff that was designed and created by women and one of the things is this candle that mm. smells like yellowstone it mm-hmm. smells so it's good this really beautiful yeah. cedar scent so we're we're sniffing on that mm-hmm. right now anyway um i simply had to have one of these books for myself i mean how fucking magical was that intro And then the first chapter alone is another whammy. Trees have friends. Yes, trees have friends. Tree friends, too, not just little kids like me and Kat. Vol and Ben observed the remains of a stump long ago felled and dissolved into nothingness. But it had several little nodules remaining that looked like stones but were actually, in fact, live pieces of wood, like a tiny little bit of the remaining tree. And it appeared that it was being nourished by other trees in its area, by, like, interconnected root systems. Hmm. Yeah. So, like, not all trees get this treatment, just, like, a few of them. Really? Which indicates that some are more favored than others. Huh. So, in that way, a copse of trees can keep a favored loved one alive, well, functionally forever, as long as the forest is undisturbed. Wow. So, like, yeah. It's like a memento of the tree? No, it's like little pieces of yeah, the tree yeah, that, like... Yeah. They keep alive. They keep pumping nourishment into it. Wow. Even after it's been cut down. Hmm. That's amazing. I know. It's amazing. And even if they aren't interconnected by roots, trees can communicate with each other in other ways. So it's been documented that, I think it pronounces acacia? Mm-hmm. Acacia tree. Acacia trees, um, if they're being nibbled by a giraffe, um, they're going to start pumping toxins into their leaves to make them taste bad. Now, that is cool anyway. But what <laughs> they also do is release a gas compound into the air that carries to other acacias in the vicinity so that those ones can also release that nasty tasting compound before the giraffe even gets to them. Whoa, heads up guys. I know, it's like a heads it's like empathy. It's like <laughs> trees having empathy because you know, if they're just like growing for themselves, why would they care if like their mm-hmm. fellow trees got eaten? In fact, you'd think that they would encourage it. Yeah. That's cool, right? Yeah. So, okay. Not to take it to another dark place again, but I'm going to. (laughs) One thing that kind of disturbed me a little bit about this was how important forest systems are. And I realized how few trees I get to actually see in forest systems. So as we were taking our very, very slow walk today, even as I was appreciating the beautiful trees, I also couldn't help but wonder, are they lonely? Are they dysfunctional? Mm. Would like a tree from a suburban yard be considered by the forest as we consider like genie the feral child raised away from human contact yeah yeah i can imagine right? so yeah know. you know we've got the little pine grove i bet they're a lot happier they're yes, together they've got true. friends right we have a little pine grove outside yeah. i hope they get along do you want to tell the story about that that patch of 
pine trees? Oh, the patch of pine trees. Um, how I how I uh, became friends with them. Mm-hmm. Um, well, when I first moved into this house, um, it's it, this house was my grandparents' house, and uh, they planted all these trees, as far as I know, because I think it was just an empty lot in 1955. Um, but um, yeah, one one night I was hanging out and uh, smoked a little dube by myself, and uh, I uh, I got inspired to to walk around to all of the trees. And give them a hug one by one to get to know them, you know, introduce myself and um, just had a little moment with each tree on the property. It was, it was really nice. Yeah. It, was, it was kind of, yeah. Did they welcome you back? I, I think, I, yeah, I felt welcomed. Yeah. Mm. I felt embraced by the trees. Great. So, yeah. yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Very hippie thing to do. But, yeah, that's, you know. that's cool now. <laughs> and it's legal in many states And now, it is legal it? in many states. <laughs> Not in this one. But. Not in this one yet. Not mm. yet. We'll get there. Or is like planting a grove like that, tree by tree by tree, kind of like how when I adopted Ziggy Stardust to be friends <laughs> with Casanova, and then they never really became friends. Right. But I think they love each other. Yeah, yeah. But they're not like family. I don't uh-huh. know. Interesting. I don't know. Wow. I don't know. I think a lot about trees now. But mm-hmm. anyway, I really can't recommend that book enough. I, I'm not quite finished with it yet, so I'm sure there's way more to discover. Um, but I'm also going to plug one other book that I just started reading called The Overstory by Richard Powers. Um, it won the Pulitzer Prize, so you've maybe already heard of it, and I'm the one behind the times on this, but it's basically a novel told through the filter of tree stories. Mm. Um, like I said, I'm not done with it yet, but it's really, really charming so far, and I'm learning all kinds of things I didn't know before, like about um, the big chestnut blight that destroyed the beloved North American chestnuts in the early 1900s. It's this, like, red fungus mm. that came over on boats. Really? And, like... I guess all of like the East Coast used to be awash in beautiful chestnut trees. Wow. Then they were all destroyed, except uh. for um, some trees that, um, you know, people, when they moved from the coast further they inland, in. yeah. they may have brought a few chestnut uh-huh. um, saplings or whatever just to, to have the memory of the East Coast. Mm. But they're so far away from their groves that they didn't get infected. But anyway, uh, true story. Yeah, so this book is really cool because if nonfiction isn't really for you, this is a great way to learn about trees through these like beautifully written vignettes. Mm, fantastic. Yeah, so um, I guess we can end this episode with a quote from maybe the most famous book about trees. I never saw the Lorax movie. Did I saw you? that, yeah. Oh, you saw the movie? Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Uh, I never saw the movie. <laughs> I but enjoyed I, it. It was good? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, well, I was a fan of the book, so nothing would make me happier than to hear Adam read this most famous line from that book. I am the Lorax. I speak for the trees. I speak for the trees, for the trees have no tongues. And I am asking you, sir, at the top of my lungs, oh, please do not cut down another one. Now, as we have learned, trees may not have tongues, but they do talk. So And they laugh. And they laugh. My oh. very name. Laughing tree. That's true. Adam's yeah. last name means laughing tree. How cute <laughs> is that? Um, but, you know, good night. Good night. Be well. And laugh a little. And hug a tree. 